What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi there, and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and leading television critic, Rihanna Dillon. We've got some hot TV tips for you this week. Uh, What's really worth a gander on television and streaming over the next couple of weeks? What have we got? Any goodies, Rihanna? Well, we've got a new horror from Amazon Prime called Master, which I was deeply terrified by and you didn't Mm. bat an eye. Well, I'm sorry. But anyway, we can discuss it in more detail later on. We have The Simpler Life, which is about following 24 Brits as they come together to live by the rules of the Amish community. I quite like this, but I understand perhaps not everybody else did. I'm I'm excited to talk about this. Um, Bad Vegan on Netflix, which again, it's the kind of programme that will have you screaming at your screen. So (laughs) I'm going to delve into that. And also then Barbara Met Allen, which is a BBC factual drama telling the remarkable true story of the people behind a campaign that led to significant gains in the battle for disabled civil rights in Britain. Yeah, and our guest this week is the actor Ruth Maidley, who is in Then Barbara Met Allen. And let's have a little burst of Ruth. This whole film is a real brick through a window, I guess, to really smash what people think about disability. I think too many people think that because we have laws in place that protect disabled people, that disabled people don't really have to think about these things and access is such a huge issue on a daily basis. Really interesting to talk to Ruth Maidley and you can hear that in more detail a little bit later in the podcast. Now, I've just seen some blossom on a tree. It's been a week of really depressing news. We probably don't need to focus too much on that. But things in London, at least today, 
the sun's out, it looks a bit more hopeful, doesn't it? It's true. I love it when the little shoots come through in the garden. I mean, my rabbits are eating most of them, but it was still nice while it lasted. Do we have names for your rabbits? Apollo and Starbuck. And what is their age? They they are one and a half. So so much ahead of them. (laughs) So much joy still to come. They are such little beasts. They love Mike and they don't like me at all. Ah, Well, there you go. Perhaps they're very sensitive rabbits. They can just tell (laughs) when someone's, you know, not quite the sort of person to pursue. Are they, they're not indoor rabbits, are they? They like, they like to think they are, but they do live outside. They just come in when, when they want a little bit of snuggle time on the carpet. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Let's not go there. Um, Semi-serious note here. Mm. How are they protected? Because I've had friends who, I'm sad to say, have lost rabbits to the pesky, pesky foxes. To the foxes. Well, we always lock them up at night and during... I mean, they actually, we have really high fences, both oh, sides, and no foxes bosh. can jump. Well, but... that's what you think. <laughs> I used to tell my kids that mice can't climb stairs. <laughs> Because their legs are too short. I do sort of think it is a matter of time when you have rabbits in the country. But, you know, I'm trying not to let Mike know that. Yeah, all right, okay. He lives Uh, ignorantly in bliss, though. I live in the city. That's just a hint there that Rihanna is living the good life, very much so. (laughs) The simpler life. The simpler life, yes. Shall we? In fact, let's head there right now. It is The Simpler Life. It is a Channel 4 reality show. It starts at 9.15 on the 22nd of March, and then the second episode is going to be shown the following night, the 23rd. And then all episodes will be available on 4OD as soon as they've gone out on the telly. Now... I suppose I wanted to focus on this because I love the film Witness mm-hmm. and I love Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford, Kelly yeah. McGillis. That scene in the barn, I think it's impossibly romantic. Might be my favourite favourite scene in film. Actually. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Just really got to me. So here's a clip from The Simpler Life uh, featuring Lloyd. Now, he is the head of the Amish family who are sort of coaching these newcomers through the lifestyle. Here is Lloyd addressing the people who volunteered to come and live a simpler life with them. Welcome, everyone. My name is Lloyd. Uh, I'm 54 years old and, and weigh a little too much. <laughs> but the reason is my lovely wife, Edna, for 33 years. She's a wonderful good cook. It's our pleasure to be here as a family, to walk this journey with you. We have six children and six grandchildren, just about seven. One of them will be born while we're here. So we didn't just walk away from nothing. I mean, we walked away from our farm. We do this because we want to share with you the Amish life. It's our culture. It's the way we do things. Yeah, I'd quite like to know how they persuaded Lloyd and Edna to and leave their farm. And how they got them, because yes. I don't think they were allowed to use modern technology. So There are, there are some unanswered questions oh, yeah. here. Uh, perhaps a whole new spin-off show, in fact. Lloyd and Edna and their family are from Ohio. Um, because this is set in the UK. Yeah, well, very much yeah. so, in a beautiful, beautiful location. Um, with a selection of folk. I mean, it was always going to be that way, wasn't it? Yeah. Some people who are totally buying in to the idea mm-hmm. of the Amish lifestyle. We probably should just explain what that is, actually. Actually. It's living without modern tech, yeah. living off the land, mm-hmm. and with very traditional gender roles. Yes. That's quite important, isn't it? It is. So first of all, when I started watching this, you know, we, we between us, have seen pretty much every reality TV show going. And this just felt like a bit more of a reset 
on what we think a reality TV show is because these people aren't the kind of fame-hungry or no. young people of a certain type that we see on romance-based reality shows. These are kind of recognisable people who are kind of desperate to get away from all of the pressures and burdens of modern life, whether that's, you know, technology or just the, the burnout yeah. and depression and anxiety and that comes what? from work. Quite honestly, whether it's just because at the moment everything is so stressful for all of us... Um, I really fancy I would have said yes to yeah, this. It's incredibly appealing. Yes, it really is. It is. And also you could come with your partner if you have one, you come with your family if you have one. So these aren't necessarily all just individuals, which I think is quite important. Although some are. There are some individuals aren't they, who live yes. together. They're, they're sort of singletons are all put together in yes. a separate in accommodation a block. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so... There is a woman, for example, who just works and works and works all the time and needs a break and a chance to reassess and and have a, a kind of fresh start, I suppose. And then she finds herself people-pleasing to the extent that she is doing all of the washing up, all of the cooking alone and has a kind of, hold on, why, why has this happened again? Here why, I am. Yes, why am I burdened again? And because it is, like you say, it's the Amish lifestyle, it relegates women to the kitchen and animals and men to and the fields. And childcare. And childcare. Men to the fields and the man is in charge of the purse strings. And I just feel like this could have been so much more meaningful if the genders weren't separated in that way. We have a couple, two male workers for the NHS, married couple with their two children, which presumably would not have been acceptable in Amish culture and but circles. So right, why I... the gender divide? Yeah, but that wasn't questioned, was it? No. no, no Fair enough. I'm glad it wasn't. But then why does that mean that, you know, gay rights are um, noticed and adhered to, but not equal rights between the sexes? Well, I guess I would also have liked to, to know whether any gay couples could live the Amish lifestyle in genuine Amish communities. And I suspect the answer to that might be no. Exactly. Uh, and that doesn't just doesn't crop up at all, does it? No. But the sun always shines and uh, everybody makes hay and <laughs> the children in particular do seem to enjoy it. Yes, they do. They're out there, is, you know, it's that kind of old-fashioned thing of running around outside and getting back to being one with nature. It's, it's about not taking life for granted, which, you know, is a lesson that I think a lot of us could learn. Um, especially in the last couple of years. And there's a woman who goes with her family because she got COVID really, really badly. And that made her think, what am I doing with my life? And yet she's the one that really struggles to assimilate from day one. Yes, I, I felt that she was... They'd sort of signed her up for the very reason yes. that she was never going to be a good fit. Yeah. And she exhibits her discomfort right from the start. And I sort of slightly felt she was a bit of a whatever the female fall guy is. Yeah, she was a scapegoat, 100%. I agree with you, because they do all these psychological assessments mm. up front as she well. She was never going to fit the bill. No, so it was like she had really low, like she wasn't interested in being part of a group. Like that was, she was really low on that, and but really high on power and individualism and things like that. And so you kind of see how all of these people are assessed and then they're supposed to reassess them each, I don't know how long. This experiment takes place over six months. And it does feel more like a social experiment than, a 
than a reality show. It feels like the kind of old school Big Brother was a social mm. experiment, not a reality show. Yeah. The gender thing is probably my main issue because that doesn't make sense in what they're actually trying to achieve. Well, I've only seen episode one, so I don't I do. know whether yeah. anything unravels or whether any of that stuff is challenged later in the series. Mm. I, I hope it is. Yeah. And I hope maybe they could have a day where the men do the so-called traditional women's roles and the women do the men's. Well, it's just a mix or like a constant ter- changing of chores. Yeah. You know, that would yeah. make sense. Just take a turn. Yeah. I have to say, I will watch more of this. I definitely will. I'm quite invested in it. And I speak as someone who I can say I turned down a reality show once, which was a little... Which one was that? It was, uh, well, I don't want to boast, but it was Sugar Free Farm, <laughs> which actually made me think... <laughs> the Simpler Life did remind me a little bit of a sugar free farm. Well, um, uh, is that literally just cutting out sugar? Yes. Um, <laughs> you, pretty much. You could probably do that from your own home, really. Well, you could, but you wouldn't get paid. So I, I did feel able to turn that down. And also, I couldn't give up sugar. <laughs> it's not a compelling reason. You would reason. have been this woman in yeah, that I, experiment. I, exactly. That's why she had Doomed my sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say for this, as a bold experiment, I think they deserve a bit of credit for trying something very different Although I certainly have questions, as you say, about how they got in touch with Lloyd and Edna, who were living <laughs> off the grid. And I, Edna didn't speak in episode one. We don't oh, know. she did very briefly. Did she? Yeah, okay, she right. did. It was it just very briefly. In, re- in reference to, to her the cooking. cooking? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Edna knows her place, and it's by the stove where she got six kids. It's the simpler life, and you'll find it on Channel Four. First episode is shown at quarter past nine on the twenty second of March. The second one the following night, the twenty third, and then all the episodes are there on 4OD after broadcast. I'd be interested to see, actually, in here, what people think of The Simpler Life. Would you fancy it yourself? What do you think about those very specific gender roles? It is podcast at radiotimes.com if you want to tell us what you think. Our next look at a movie, actually, it's on Amazon Prime from the 18th of March and it is Master. It's a horror. So Regina Hall plays Gail Bishop, who is the newly appointed master of college at this prestigious university, essentially like the house mistress. It also reminded me, what was that show on Netflix recently the with chair. Sandra Oh? Yeah, The very, Chair. I was getting very chair vibes. Yes, similar, very similar, because it was all about being like the first woman, the first woman mm. of colour. Yeah, definitely. Definite parallels. And quite spooky in the chair, too, at times. Was it? Well, I felt a bit unnerved. <laughs> just, Maybe I just, just didn't like further education. <laughs> um, so it's Gail Bishop's job to like kind of look after the pastoral side of the, the borders, but also, I think, to teach seminars at the same time. And there is one student, Jasmine, who becomes the centre of her concern, who she's sort of at the heart of a lot of awful things that happen. She believes that she's being picked on because she's black, Jasmine, specifically by another black teacher. So it's kind of about these three black women who are trying to survive in a place that should be nurturing and protective. And interestingly, and this is why you're here and you're paid the big bucks. <laughs> if only. Well, I'll stick with that line. Um, you have spotted a link between The Simpler Life and this movie. So what is it? Yes, yeah, so there is a sort of cult, sect. We mm. don't. We, they're never called the Amish. They're not specific, are they? No, but they are this unknown <laughs> entity of people who don't like to be in contact with modern life, let's say. And they crop up quite a few times in Master, including in this clip. I'm just worried about Jasmine. Yeah. I mean, who knows what she's going through? Kind of makes that grade dispute make sense. Yeah, they fix it on grades when everything else seems out of control. Yeah, but that dispute could control whether or not I get tenure. 
Liv, do not be dramatic, all right? You'll be fine. Look, I've never seen him so close to town. Let's go. We shouldn't be here. Come on. It's interesting, Rihanna. Can I just tell you what my big problem with Please Master do. was? I just wasn't frightened. Do, you, mean, do not... you think you need to be frightened? Do you, did you get anything else from the film that wasn't based around the genre of it being a horror? I, yes, that's a good question. I, I, I wasn't bored, mm -hmm. and you're right. It's a really interesting setup. I don't know much about American universities, mm -hmm. I, but I don't doubt that there probably is appalling racism on some campuses and I suspect although I don't know so please do challenge us me on this if you know better that the more so-called prestigious and older institutions might be the worst places for a student of colour to go and I really was very made very uncomfortable by the scenes where Jasmine is really given bad yeah. treatment by her roommate and mm -hmm. her roommate's horrible <laughs> entitled friends and you you actually think oh I, I suspect that does happen mm -hmm. still absolutely oh hundred percent yeah it's it's kind of it's a horror film that is very much about race and racism in America and it's that sort of classic thing that institutions are ripe for socio political horror mm. stories you know like the hazing the bullying the bias from teachers from security guards on the ground you might have seen Dear White People on Netflix either the film or the TV series which isn't necessarily horror but it definitely has a lot of those similar horror tropes especially if you're black so being arrested on campus just for existing because they think you don't belong there because you're black. In terms of the horror, I got really scared because I'm te I I get really frightened by jump scares, which are the cheapest scares in horror films, but they're the ones that get me. Um, I don't mind unsettling, but jump scares are just horrible. Can you to watch. Okay, just for those of us who aren't experts, I mean, you've got a degree in this. <laughs> What's a jump scare? Well, you know, if you're something's kind of like quietly, 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 the tension's being like racked up, and there's something. Like, jump! Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, so you're walking down a corridor <laughs> late at night. You see, my problem with all horror films is that people consistently put themselves in positions of, in jeopardy. I mean, I don't go for walks down spooky corridors at half past three in the morning. I, I just I just don't do it. Well, that's because your life isn't a horror movie, no. luckily. Thank well, goodness. sometimes I wonder, but anyway. Um, there is a quite a lot, uh, there's a lot of cool imagery around um, like insects eating their way through portraits and they kind of have these weird, not quite flashbacks, but moments where you might see the history of how black people have existed in yes. these sorts of institutions institutions as servants for example yeah. um, and of course this whole idea of identity and this woman thinking she's actually she's taking on I mean it's called master this is a woman taking on a traditionally male role and did it definitely traditionally white role so she's kind of having all of these you know worries and fears about what does this mean for her own identity as a black woman and then the frustra the, the resolution for me was a bit frustrating because they introduced this whole new idea that I just really wanted to delve into in more detail which was kind of about passing as either as white or as black um, and yeah, I think it was. There was so much that this film wanted to say and do. It's only ninety minutes. I I, re I did really enjoy it. I think mm. it could have been taken even a little bit further. I agree with you about the sudden. It did feel sudden introduction of passing because there was a film, wasn't there? A great film mm -hmm. re directed by Rebecca Hall that yeah. we we watched and and you reviewed a couple, yeah. of, a couple of months ago. Yeah, with Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger. Do look at that on Netflix. Yeah. It is Netflix, isn't mm -hmm. it? That one. That's really worth pursuing. And I felt they were trying to do too much here. A bit. Too too late in the film. Possibly.
possibly. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I think, you know, they're, they're trying to capture audiences who loved uh, films like Get Out, which so it's all it's about the horror, but it's called like elevated horror, where there's also these political messages going on at the same time. So I think there's a lot to really enjoy, even if you're not into horror in this film. And even if you're not a scaredy cat like me. <laughs> I'm just so butch. Uh, so we've learned two things there. Jump scare and elevated horror. Uh, next time you're out and about and want to impress people, um, you can use those phrases and people will, trust me, they will be amazed. So that is Master on Amazon Prime from the 18th of March. I think a lot of people will enjoy it, um, if not be entirely terrified by it, which was the case with me. I was sort of <laughs> carried on nibbling my chocolate digestive. <laughs> But you actually, Rihanna, have really made me realise probably all the nuances I missed. So I maybe should go back and re-watch I, I don't think you're going to, but that's nice of you to say. Thanks. Later, we'll talk about Bad Vegan on Netflix, but this is Then Barbara Met Alan. It's a one-off drama. It's on BBC Two at nine o'clock on Monday, the 21st of March, and it's all about a really passionate campaign for disability rights. You might recall, I'd forgotten to my shame, but this made me remember um, the telethon, the ITV telethon, that used to be hosted year in, year out by the very, very smooth Michael Aspel. And I thought it was Chris Tarrant. No, that was Michael Aspel. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he was, I mean, he was a very, very more than competent, slick, incident-free TV host. But one year, um, this direct action network group hijacked the ITV telethon, telethon. They were absolutely sick of the pity that they thought was being encouraged mm -hmm. by these sorts of uh, charity attempts. I mean, it was a really ritzy, glitzy affair mm. with every celebrity known to woman or man taking part. Well, maybe that's where Chris Tarrant came into it. Possibly. So then Barbara Met Allen tells a very important bit of a social history, but at its heart, it's a love story. Uh, Barbara and Allen meet, as the title suggests. They are both cabaret performers at the time, and they go on to form a very significant union that tries really, really hard to make real change. But as often happens in situations like that, uh, there is a price to be paid. Um, so I've talked to the star, Ruth Maidley. You'll know her from years and years and lots of other things. Um, but here they are, the two characters, Barbara and Alan, meeting for the first time after they've both performed at a club. Hey, that was good. Your act. No one laughed. Yeah, well, sometimes you, you just catch the wrong mood. OK, Broadway bedroom, whatever you say. <laughs> you want a drink? No. Come on. No. Well, why not? Because I know what will happen. Excuse me. What? Jeez. Because I know what will happen. I'll get drunk, you'll get drunk, you'll try and kiss me, I'll let you, and then you'll either beg me for an embarrassing <laughs> round the back of the bar, lay out 40 quid for a cheat room, 20 quid for some cheap booze, and then we'll have sex. Either way, you'll end up poorer, and I'll have a hangover. And I don't want a hangover. Well, that was a clip from Then Barbara Met Alan, and I am talking to Ruth Maidley. Ruth, hello. Welcome to the Radio Times podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a really interesting programme, this, and I really hope it gets a really broad audience because it deserves it. How much did you know about the Disability Action Network before you did this show? I was a child when all of this was happening, so I, I knew of... It, but I didn't know any details at all and I didn't know about specific people um, until I guess 
I guess my early 20s, really, when, you know, social media started becoming a thing and research was a lot easier with, with different, like, uh, archive clips and things like that that you could just nose the at. But I definitely didn't know any details. It's a really important bit of British social history, isn't it, which perhaps really a lot is. of people don't know or understand. So that is, it is significant. Tell me about the cast. And there are some remarkable people in it, including Liz Carr, who is a great actress. I knew that anyway. She's incredible. But she was particularly good in this, I thought. Anyway, um, but she was one of the original uh, protesters. She was part of all this. She was. We had. We were so lucky to have some of the original uh, Danners, as we called them. <laughs> we were so lucky to have uh, a lot of essays who were protesting. We had an incredible Matt Fraser, who I, I absolutely adore, and, uh, and Liz Carr as well. So it, it felt very... Very, very real to be able to do a scene with just Liz and I was was a particular career highlight for me because I think she's incredible. How significant is it for you to be in a programme like this, which will reach a broad audience, about a subject that still so many people find a little bit uncomfortable, I, I, I think? There's a scene near the beginning where you go out on a date with um, Alan, your Barbara, he's Alan, and... You can't get into the restaurant because you're a wheelchair user and the restaurant just isn't... The door is simply not wide enough yeah. to let you in. Is that something that's happened to you in your real life? So many things that the group were protesting for back in the early 90s, so many people are still fighting for today. This whole film is a real brick through a window, I guess, to really smash what people think about disability. I think too many people think that because we have laws in place that protect disabled people, that disabled people don't really have to think about these things. And access is such a huge issue on a daily basis. It is really quite shocking and a very humbling thing to be able to, to, to show on TV. What the film also illustrates is the price you pay for being at the forefront of protest and social action, because without spoiling it, it's... A love story that's tested, isn't it? It really is. The whole story really highlights not just the toll that protesting took on on Barbara and Alan's relationship, but what toll it took on Alan's health in particular. Protesting is never easy, and I think that we've highlighted that really well. We should say that they were a real couple, um, real people. Yeah. And I, I don't know, did you did you meet the real people involved? Were you able to? That law would protected me growing up as a young adult because of these people. And uh, that was a really incredible thing to be able to to kind of just sit with for a little bit in this restaurant with, with real Barbara. And uh, she is everything and more. She's just incredible. It was a real honour to, to meet her, let alone be, tr be trusted to play her. For you as an actor, um, I, I think I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that obviously you were in years and years. People will, will know you from yeah. that. But that role was not originally written for somebody who uses a wheelchair. But you No, you changed... no it wasn't at all. Right. So how did you change the mind of, of, the, of the production team and the writers? You know something? Years and years, it, it was literally just an audition. They liked me. And that was that. It never felt like they were very rigid in their ways of thinking, right, well, this character has to be this. It didn't feel like you had to get over the hurdle of changing their minds of, oh, this could be a wheelchair user. And you do get that quite a lot. 
in the industry, you do constantly feel like you have to change people's minds and you have to convince them that you can do it, which is part of an audition process anyway, no matter whether you're disabled or not. What next for you now? Because you are someone, well, you've proved it in years and years, you can play any part. It's just a question of getting the chance to play the parts, I guess. A lot of the roles I go for or or that I get, they're all quite different, which I really love. Um, I never want to be somebody who, who just does one thing. So... Uh, I love doing drama and then I love doing comedy like I did with uh, Greg Davis in The Cleaner uh, last year. So there's a lot of stuff brewing. But you know what? I'm 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 really excited. I'm, I'm filming a documentary at the minute as well, which sadly I can't go into too many details on. But um, yeah, there's a lot of different things. I'm, I'm doing writing. I'm writing as well, finally. Yeah, I know it's important to you because didn't you study it at, at Edge Hill University? That was what you that was I what you did. Studied. Yeah, yeah. That's um, what I thought. That's always what I thought I would do in the industry. Acting was kind of a a wonderful accident. I guess it's nice to be able to uh, to do a bit of everything. I'm uh, I'm not good at just sitting around doing nothing. You won't be surprised to hear that if you Google Ruth Madeley, one of the most frequently asked questions about Ruth Madeley is, "Are you any relation <laughs> to Richard Madeley?" Uh, sadly, guys, no, no relation whatsoever that I know oh. of. I mean, I mean, who knows? <laughs> Oh, you probably distant are. relation somewhere. You, you must be distant cousins. And I one day I would like you to work with him. If you can possibly arrange that, I think everybody would be very happy. Um, I mean, Ruth, can you imagine? That would be the best. It would be. Maidley and Maidley. Yeah, do it. Maidley and Maidley, um, new talk show. Congratulations on this. I think I think this is really going to change minds and, and get people really invested in what is a really important subject. So, um, And actually, one final question from me. If there is one thing sure. you could change about being you in 2022 in Britain, because that's where we are. What what mm-hmm. what would it be in terms, it can be in terms of access or in terms of healthcare or, or anything, you tell me. Especially after filming Then Barbara Met Alan, everywhere to be accessible. It would just make life so much richer for everybody. I, I, I hope one day the world will be completely accessible for all disabilities and all different needs. The actor Ruth Madeley, who is one of the stars of Then Barbara Met Alan. And it's, it's that sort of everyday mm-hmm. nightmare mm-hmm. that, in spite of, of the action of the, of the Direct Action Network, is still an issue for a lot of disabled people. We take so much for granted, don't we? And I keep getting all these emails at the moment being like, sorry, there's no step-free access at this train station for the next eight months. It's like... Yeah, so I just you, don't know what you're supposed to do if you're just, in that situation. I can't imagine how exhausting it is. Yeah, I interviewed Dame uh, Tanya Gray Thompson recently and she is uh, you know Paralympian she's in the House of Lords she's enormously successful and mm. influential but she still regularly struggles on the rail network yeah and to her great credit she always tweets about it mm-hmm. and just says you know this is a disgrace I can't get off the train it is. of course everything like this is going to make you angry and frustrated and I love that in this we see all of Dan's the direct action networks attempt to change things with protest and I think protest is such a powerful form of expression um because it's it's stopping other people from going about their day in the same way that people who are in wheelchairs have to have their days disrupted every single time they step out of their house because something doesn't work or something yeah. isn't right. Yeah, so I think that's it's incredibly, it, you know, it works. They sort of are obliged to lead a kind of half-life because that's all that they can possibly expect, it would seem. And that's just, it is absolutely not fair. Also, they are expected to be sort of passive and accepting. Mm-hmm. And I think that was why ruining the telethon, I mean, the telethon was abandoned because of because yeah. of their action in the end. Um, it was It was really quite 
exceptional and I think a lot of people found it very difficult and it challenged a lot of people's perceptions about what disabled people were like mm-hmm. um, and they just weren't prepared to just sit there and take the pity and the money from yeah. everybody else yeah. they wanted to do stuff and get out there and challenge people so I just think that's really interesting I know you didn't necessarily rate this as a drama, am I right? What, what, what did you have concerns about? I really loved what this was trying to do in terms of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, what does that mean? We have Ruth Madeley talking to camera okay. in this, um, talking directly to the audience as Barbara, and then she comes in and does voiceover every so often or stops the scene to say something to us. Um, it kind of uses news footage seamlessly alongside the actors doing very similar things. And that was what was so great about seeing Liz Carr from Silent Witness in the original news footage and then she appears at the end of this yes yes uh she only has one scene as an actor in this which is a shame because she is so good but it's a very powerful scene just a dialogue scene i think it just tried to cover way too much in an hour because you know this there is so much history within this um and i think it was a shame that it kind of all had to get boiled down and it was we saw kind of protest after protest with um and then we have like ruth madeley and arthur hughes who plays alan kind of as you heard there like falling in love then arguing making up um but then we don't really see any of the other parts of their relationship when when it's based when it's literally called then barbara met alan i was expecting you know they they have a child together i wanted to see how they raised their child together though we don't really see anything of their personal life apart from these protests and how that impacted their life and i thought that was to the program's detriment okay i sort of made the assumption that they were illustrating that in fact i hope this isn't a spoiler that it was going to be a challenge for any relationship to survive mm-hmm. when Alan, in particular, was so invested in this important cause. Mm-hmm. And sometimes other things do have to go by the wayside when you're pursuing something you really passionately believe in. Oh, absolutely. But then we don't see... He gets sort of angrier and angrier and he becomes sort of this alcoholic, self-loathing person. But we never really see what's exactly drawn him into that and also what draws him out of that and it's all of that sort of stuff that I find really interesting it's about making something that is so broad and wide-reaching actually into something incredibly personal okay so six out of ten from you from the sound of things I mean there was Crip Camp on uh, Netflix which was a fantastic documentary and I think that did a really good job because it was made by people with disabilities about their time camp and then about the protests that they went on. Oh, they set up a camp. Yes, for people with disabilities. And so the programme was made by these same people who went to that camp, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, And I thought that was did a really good job of making something that was, we all feel like we should know loads about, but making it so incredibly personal and seeing these personal journeys, um, it really resonated and it stayed with me for a very, very long time. I'm always drawn to dramas that tell me something about Britain that I either didn't Mm -hmm. know at all or had forgotten. And I think, I do think this is a really important part of our history. Mm. So I hope people watch it and I hope people learn a thing or two about the incredible, the bravery and the guts of the people who brought about real change. Yeah. I agree with you. Probably not the perfect drama, but really well worth a bit of your time. Then Barbara Met Allen is on BBC Two at nine o'clock on Monday, the 21st of March. And then, of course, it'll be on the BBC iPlayer for you. Now, um, to your correspondence, and uh, due to the absence of my glasses this week, Rihanna will (laughs) read this email. Here we go. (laughs) We've got an email from Carol who says, 
says, I'm a newcomer to your podcast and catching up on episodes. I live in Wellington, New Zealand, and most of the programmes you discuss I'll never get to see. <laughs> Nevertheless, I love your discussions and I get a good overview of whatever I'm missing. I love that people listen to a podcast about TV and film work. They can't watch. They can't watch. Or, yeah, or possibly even don't want to watch. <laughs> um, your episode that discussed Empire State of Mind, which was the episode that went out on the 17th of November, made me think of Neil Oliver's book, The Story of the World in a Hundred Great Moments, where I recently learned that in 1833, enslaved people were living as unpaid apprentices and that to compensate the slave owners, since they lost their property, the British Treasury took out the biggest loan in history in 1837, which in today's money would amount to billions of pounds and it wasn't paid off by taxpayers until 2015. Wow. Shocking. Wow. She says one can safely assume the slaves themselves didn't receive a penny of that compensation and she was also almost as stunned as when she learned that it was the 1980s that the UK finished paying off its debts to the US for loans to finance World War II. Fascinating. Thank you very much for that and we hope one day to feature a show that you might be able to watch. <laughs> That would be something. Podcast at radiotimes.com if you have access to the programmes we've talked about or you want to recommend something, actually. We'll take recommendations, oh, won't we? Oh, absolutely, we would. Amanda Doffy on Twitter has said, you had me at New Scandi Noir. That was when we were talking about snow angels. Yeah. Although not in a very positive light, but I'm glad Amanda took something good from it. I, I'm glad she did too, but I have to say I wouldn't turn that turn to that as a comfort blanket right now. I really wouldn't. What about Bad Vegan then? We'll move seamlessly on to this Netflix show, which is available from today, actually, the 16th of March. How would you describe this genre of, of Netflix Ooh, show? God, I mean, it's kind of that murky, true crime, slightly hysterical yeah, well, <laughs> documentary, right? Usually featuring women at the heart. Yes. Yeah, interesting that. OK, here's a clip from the trailer for Bad Vegan. Pure Food and Wine was the top raw vegan restaurant in the world. It was ahead of its time, and it was a high-end, fine-dining, vegan experience that was a hot spot. Owen Wilson used to just post up in the back and, like, walk through the kitchen. And I'm like, what is this place? Sarma was the brand, the raw vegan queen. It was such a great environment to work in. If none of this had ever happened, we'd probably still be working there. Sarma was telling me about a guy that she had been talking to online. There were tons of conspiracy theories about why she married him. Was there some sort of blackmail involved? It was just all very mysterious. Anthony told Sarma she had to perform a series of tests. He promises her that he is going to make Sarma and her dog immortal. It's a complete madness. Well, maybe one day a man will offer to make your rabbits immortal. And you... <laughs> I'll say, no, please don't, whatever you do. <laughs> and you will fall for them. This is very, very odd. Uh, I have to say, never ever anyone who's thinking of taking me out for dinner take me to a raw vegan <laughs> restaurant because <laughs> I would not enjoy it. Um, what is Bad Vegan about? Oh, Jane. Well, that's how I don't it's know. It's a difficult one, isn't oh, it? Oh, this is so difficult to pinpoint. It's so right at the beginning, they tell us the story of Bad Vegan up front because I think, like, in the first 
three minutes of the of the show because they know otherwise we wouldn't really be interested. <laughs> I think as well that it's a great title, by the way. I think one of the best things about this series is its title because every Netflix user or every other Netflix user right now is going to be a vegan. Right. And they'll be absolutely drawn in or they'll be trying veganism or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Bad vegan, I'm sorry, you may not like it, is a great title. <laughs> I So it is essentially about, well... This woman who is at the heart of it is telling us that she was the one that was conned. Yes, and she's this top raw vegan restaurateur. Yes. Sama. Yes, and yet she was arrested and charged with being one of the conners. Connors? Connors. Connoisseurs? Con artists. Con artists, thank you. Um, So this is very much told from her perspective. As you say, it is all about her her kind of falling under the spell of this awful guy um, and just giving him money whenever he asked for it because he promised her a life of riches, uh, an immortal life of riches and mm. power. And I was like, well, are we supposed to feel sorry for this woman at yes. any point? Even, like, the thing that's driving her is that she, at one point in the first or second episode, she says, I've always seen myself that I deserve to be a compassionate queen. I was like, oh. God, sorry, am I supposed to... What? Why have you given this man so much... So she owed the man that she bought the restaurant off, this business off, $2 million. She took on that debt. And over the course of this relationship with this man, she she paid him $1.7 million. Yet she didn't pay off that to the guy who she owed properly. It just didn't make any sense to me. And I've learnt not that much in in the course of my quite long life, but I have learnt something, which is that if a man tells you he can't tell you what he does, but it's black ops, Mm. don't believe him. No. This is such a horrible thing, isn't it? Because I feel really bad saying that I don't believe these women... Are that gullible. Are gu- that gullible. Yeah. But we see this over and over and over again. It kind of boils down to loneliness, ultimately, I think. That's what... If you if you kind of come to the crux of yeah, podcasts so. like Sweet Bobby, yeah. um, which is about catfishing, things like this, it comes down to men preying on women's There's a loneliness. There's vulnerability. The Tinder swindler. Yeah, about the women at the heart of these yes. stories. And that's sad. And that's n- not in any way amusing. No, it's not. But it's also incredibly frustrating when it when so much of it comes down to money when yeah, there's just, greed involved too yes isn't there? when they're being asked just to give them money and they don't seem to question it or they might question it but they do it anyway and that's the bit that i can never get my head around and it's the other people who as you say are involved in the mix in this yeah. series who crop up saying things like well we did have our doubts <laughs> and you, why, you know really well, why didn't you do something <laughs> all these hipsters in the restaurant that she worked in were like this guy had bad vibes yeah you know, we avoided him. He had bad... Vo- I'm like, what does that actually mean in real terms? Like, what was he doing? And she, they were saying that she didn't really want to listen. The thing is, I don't... Sorry, I know this feels like quite a random, ranty, rambling review because it is a kind of... It's that kind of show. That kind of show. But the the director didn't seem to ask any questions that the audience at home would be asking. He was just sort of letting this story meander and asking certain questions, but they weren't the ones that we were screaming, going, what was the spark? Why did you let this man... He lied to you from the very moment he came into your life. He said he looked like one thing and he didn't. So immediately you know that he's lying. And that why is never answered. I'm going to say, frankly, um, this is almost total tosh. But, of course, like a lot of stuff on Netflix, 
particularly like a lot of their documentaries, it is very watchable, Tosh. Yeah. And I can't pretend that I wasn't quite drawn in. I watched it while I was like doing my makeup or something. You know, it's one that you almost want to have in the background because there's nothing else. You like you don't need to concentrate too much on it. My thoughts were turning to a good meaty burger about <laughs> ten minutes into watching Bad Vegan. I'm afraid to say. I mean, I know that the vegan community are out there and they have my respect. And I eat a lot of vegan food. I'm desperately. I've dug a hole and I'm trying to get out. I of know it. you're doing a terrible job of it. Yeah. Thanks very much. So that's Bad Vegan, and you can gobble the whole thing up like a chickpea burger uh, from today <laughs> on Netflix. Quiz of the week time. What we watched, I'll throw some clues, some TV clues and some current affairs clues in the general direction of Rihanna Dillon. And she has to tell us in which year these TV and current affairs events occurred. Are you ready? Yes. Right. Fanfare, please. That fanfare just really prolongs my discomfort. I think it prolongs a lot of people's discomfort. That's why we're keeping it. Okay, so in this year, Life on Mars was the smash hit police procedural show. uh, The thing we all absolutely adored before Line of Duty. It (laughs) debuted in this year and it included stars like John Sim. Sorry, I was just going to jump in and tell you who it starred. (laughs) Well, go on then, jump in. No, it's fine, I'm being a dick, go on. Its stars included John Sim and Liz White. It was created by Matthew Graham, Tony Jordan and Ashley Farrow. Do you want to hear a clip? Yeah, go on. Love this show. My name is Sam Tyler. DCI Sam Tyler. That much I do know. The rest is anyone's guess. Because one minute I was in... The next, I'm in 1973. So the question now is, what happened? Why am I here? So, your senior officer, you're in charge. Didn't know if you were going to show, Bobs. Where else could I go? This guy kills. Is that why I'm here? Help me. A clip from Life on Mars <laughs> that did not include Rihanna's favourite, Philip Glenister. I just had a bit of a crush on him. You were only a teenager, though, presumably. Oh, well, I've given, I don't that? want to give that exactly. You're OK. Sorry, I'm ruining the quiz. Uh, second clue, Top of the Pops airs its final regular edition after it was axed earlier in the year. Uh, the last ever top ten included highlights like Empire by Kasabian, Don't Stop Me Now by McFly. Number one was the seminal Hips Don't Lie by Shakira featuring Wycliffe. Do you know that one? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Here's a clip then uh, of some of the big lineup of presenters saying their goodbyes. And you're going to hear from the likes of Edith Bowman and Tony Blackburn. A unique and unusual accolade to be able to say that you were the last ever number one here on Top of the Pops. It's been an amazing show and some really unforgettable performances. It's been emotional. Uh, thank you very much for watching. I hope you've enjoyed our journey down memory lane. This is the final clue. You ready? It's Madonna who appeared on the BBC Two show Newsnight after the press got very, very heated about her adopting a baby, David Bander, from Malawi. Here is Madonna in conversation with Kirsty Walk. How long have you known that you wanted to adopt? Well, uh, my husband and I have been talking about adoption for two years. And then a year ago, we decided that we definitely wanted to do it. Then we started discussing about where. And... um, I mean, there are no accidents, because right around that time, um, I started uh, my foundation, Raising Malawi, and the more information I got about the children and, and the number of orphans that were there, the more it seemed 
quite obvious that, you know, if you're going to go, if you want to go to Africa and adopt a child, I might as well go to Malawi. Fair enough. Might um, as well. Yeah, might as well. Um, Madonna talking to Kirsty Walk on Newsnight. Are you, have you any idea? I think it's 2003. Mm. OK, this might help. Cut that out, that swears. <laughs> can I say balls instead? I'm really annoyed that it's not 2003. Well, I can tell it's, you now. It must it, be 2001. Then. It isn't. Two big films of the year. Now, this might help you because you do know your films. Yeah. The Queen, starring Helen Mirren. Oh, God, that was ghastly. And Shane Meadows, This Is England. This Is England. Come so, on then, brain box. Is it not? <laughs> is it too? You with all your special phrases. Is it two thousand and two? I age about a decade while we <laughs> just comes up with an answer. What's your final answer? So it's not two thousand and two. Is it two thousand and one? I can't bear it. It's two thousand and six. Is it? <laughs> and by the way, why was why was the Queen so bad as a film? Oh God, because I just I'm not a, I'm not a royalist. <laughs> anyway. Shock horror. <laughs> if it has provoked all this, any TV memories of your own, let us know. It is podcast at radiotimes.com. So I just watched the trailer for the new Bridgerton, which yes. is, it gives pretty much the whole series away. But it, Bridgerton is on the cover of this week's Radio Times, which is out this week. So next week, we're going to be covering series two. Were you a fan of series one? I mean, I watched it. That doesn't mean you're a fan. I loved some bits. And other bits, I was like, well, yeah, I've seen this before. But I, there, I, there are some brilliant young actors in this. And in series two, there are some South Asian women. So I'm very excited by that representation. Don't forget, if you want to make sure that you receive your copy of the Radio Times every week, you can subscribe by visiting buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times and check out our latest offer. If you want a breakdown of the listings of the programme we've discussed today, then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Follow and join us each week. The Radio Times podcast is produced by... Uh, something else. <laughs> For? I'm going to say immediate media. You've done very well, Jane. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Take care. Have a good week. <laughs> 